0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit TheAthletic.com slash SpotTrack, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off that first year subscription today. My name is Mike Chinetti. Happy Monday, November 7th. Happy weird week down in the NFL. I'm gonna totally blitz through this week. I'm just gonna pretend like it didn't happen for a lot of reasons, but. <laughs> um, We'll be back to the NFL probably in a few days here. It's uh, officially Major League Baseball's offseason. We're going to start there. Cousin Dan's going to join me in a couple of seconds here. Break down the Mets because they're already starting their uh, path back to the NL East divisional contention with a big contract signing. And we'll talk about off seasons for both the Phillies and the Astros. And of course, a little bit extra on the Astros who got the job done winning the 2022 World Series. Then flip the switch. Keith Smith and Scott Allen join me for a roundtable about the NBA, specifically that little day and a half where the hard salary cap was discussed because there is a CBA opt out forthcoming. There are wish list items being put together, both by the Players Association and by the league itself. It sounds like one of those wish list items is a hard salary cap number from the league to suppress this. Craziness, if you want to call it that, right? We're head, headed towards $70 million salaries. The, the Warriors are headed towards a $350 million paycheck this week, this year because of the luxury tax. I don't know if it's a problem, but Keith Smith and Scott Allen know a lot more about this than I do. And it's a really interesting discussion because it's kind of multi-sport. You bring in the MLB situation. Certainly the NFL and their hard cap is the best version of this right now. And it sounds like the NBA is tracking in that direction. We'll see what, uh, what Keith and Scott have to say about that in about 20 minutes here on this show. So that's a little bit of baseball. It's a little bit of basketball. That'll do it for a Monday edition. We'll be back to the NFL soon once I can wrap my head around the fact that all these veteran Hall of Fame quarterbacks are on stinkers right now. Just absolute bomb teams. I'm going to try to put some some facts and figures to it, and uh, we'll be back to that as quickly as possible. Let's talk baseball with Cousin Dan. I'm going to let you pick the uh, Choose Your Adventure today. The plan is let's talk Mets because Diaz's contract is a big deal, at least for, I don't I do know, actually across the whole league, it's a big deal because it's kind of like a a shot put into the ground that the Mets at least aren't just running away from this. I want to talk Phillies. I want to talk Astros. I want to talk futures for next year already. Uh, and then grab bag whatever else you think is important right now in Major League Baseball. So you kind of set the agenda here. Where are we going? Uh, I guess
0: we can, we might as well start with the World Series stuff, right?
1: I guess if we have to. Um, <laughs> Mattress Mac. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, look, this is no surprise. <laughs> no, this is no surprise. This is the team many people had penciled in the American League for a long, long time here. They certainly lived up to it, even though they stumbled a little bit here in the, in the World Series with the Phillies. Um, I don't even need to, do we need to flip the switch to next year much at all with this team? I, I mean, they're bringing back basically everybody the Guriel departure, you know, I know he was the the, the first base slash DH for the majority of the season, but the writing was on the wall. He he got benched for game six. I I don't even think that's a loss right now based on what his production had been. So I guess it's really the Verlander stuff, but even that feels like they have it covered, right? Is it, It just feel like this team is here to stay for
0: 2023. Yeah, I agree. As I was trying to kind of prep here, I didn't, I I was having trouble coming up with what moves they would make. Um, You know, a lot of times we see these world series teams Mm -hmm. um, have to sort of dismantle themselves immediately, you know, less than a week after they win the world series, they start kind of, you know, parting with their, their would be free agents. The Astros don't have too many. Now you bring up Verlander. That's probably the big, the big, um, the the big one. Yeah, but it, it does sound like he wants... I mean, he's coming off of a Cy Young year. It sounds like he wants to play again. Um, And it's... Uh, f- from everything I've heard, he would seemingly want to return to Houston. They would want him back after that year, I would think. So um, I'm just going to kind of like pencil that in as a, a move, but a, a non-move because he's already there. Uh, but beyond that, I mean... The Guriel thing, you—they already sort of covered yeah. that with Trey Mancini. If they want, um, that's a pretty reasonable mutual option that I expect gets picked up um, by both sides. But I—I I don't know. Do you think man? Have you heard anything? Do you think Mancini goes on? it? I don't that know or? he
1: really was was a stinker down the stretch here. Um, I, that just seems to me like a position where they cut bait on everybody and just bring in one of the kids. Um, Mattachevitz, I think, played there a little bit. I think he can probably hold his own there at first base. That, uh, this is where I wanted to go anyway with this conversation is just how this team continues to churn it out from the, their depths. It's a little bit Cleveland-esque, right? I know that's, a, that's the team you follow. And it just feels like every two or three years, there's two or three more kids coming up from the system, whether it's an international player, whether it's a drafted player, that just have a perfect role on this roster, whether, whether or not they game planned it that way or they just happen to work out that way. And you know, Jeremy Pena is obviously the the prototype for this conversation where they they said no to anything north of twenty million a year for Carlos Correa to to replace him with a seven hundred thousand dollar rookie who just freaking won the World Series. MVP. You know what I mean? Like it's just a, right. uh, it's just the next man up situation. But it's not like they're they're not taking huge risks to do this. They're just they're just doing this as a homegrown team. They're drafting really well. Their international signings have obviously been slam dunks. I don't know. I mean, I haven't really dove into the Jordan Alvarez trade from the Dodgers too much, but that seems like a fleece job now because that dude is Barry Bonds version 2.0, at least over the past year and a half, and they're just loaded with starting pitching, which no other team in the league can say. Nobody else in the league can look at, at their rotation right now and say, eh, if we lose Lander, we'll probably be Okay that's ridiculous for a world series team to be able to say, but I think it's super possible to the point of where if Verlander comes back, then they're going to trade one of their starting pitchers to, to further replenish that prospect pool. So I just think they're as healthy as humanly possible. They can withstand a loss. I mean, they've already withstood George Springer and Carlos Correa off this roster from a positional standpoint. I just think the sky's the limit still for this team even though they were the odds-on favorite from the American League and, and got the job done this year? I just think, how are they not the, the odds-on favorite next year right now, right?
0: Yeah, I'd agree with most of that. Um, they're they're a, a lot like Atlanta, but not quite to, the, to that extent in terms of having some of their um, young cornerstones locked up.
1: Um,
2: you know,
0: it's so a the good ash-
1: conversation, Dan, because I was actually about to go to the contracts on Houston and, and how they are friendly, but still kind of high right? They're, they're, yeah. they're getting small discounts on the, to, to retain their players, even though they're not exactly doing it early, right? Like Atlanta's doing it when their kids are 20 and 22 Houston's waiting a bit to extend their players so that they get the 700, $800,000 years out of them still. And then even when it's time to pay the players, it's 19 million, it's 20 million, it's 22 million in L2 base case. Nobody on this roster is 25 million plus outside of Verlander. And those are su- such short-term deals it's super doable for everybody. Right. I mean, that's just kind of, it's almost like a, like a veteran version of the Braves, you know,
0: for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, let, let's like the majority of the success of this team has been in their starting rotation and the insane values that we're going to see have come out of this. Um, you know, those guys through the inter largely through the international market. So, um, Beyond that, we're kind of looking at the Bregman and Altuve contract that, like, yeah. it might seem inflated, but they've really been a good, consistent player. I have some
1: facts on that actually. To I brought some homework today, Dan. Um, yeah, go. When Altuve signed in 2018, he was the seventh highest average paid position player, and when Bregman signed a year later, he was the 21st highest paid position player. As of right now. Jordan Alvarez's contract that starts next year has him 35th. And by the time this offseason's over, it's going to be 42, 45, right? Because at least 10 guys are going to blow past 19 million a year this offseason based on what we have out there. So it, you know, you can say El Tuve as a top 10 player might be a bit of an overpay, but it wasn't at the time. And, and my point is, is none of these guys went to the top of the market. None of them. Now, Correa tried. And they said no. And they were brilliant in saying no, obviously. So they are getting team discounts across the board. Now, the Alvarez one might be the biggest one. you know. And I I don't know if he can do this for 10 years, but the three club options, the 35th highest average paid batter in in baseball, that's already a huge value. So yeah, to your point, even the second they were signed, Dan, there was value in these contracts, which I I guess I want to ask you specifically, why are these players doing this? Uh, Is it they're just being... You know, well coached from an agent perspective, that, that that it's a good team fit and winning matters, and blah blah blah. Is it that they they were kind of a homegrown team that many of these players started at age seventeen with Houston, and they're willing to take less in order to stick around this organization because moving's a pain in the ass, or is it just that Houston has figured this thing out that you just can't do thirty million dollars for a second baseman or even for a shortstop right now, and and think that at, at when it comes time to paying your pitching staff, everything's just going to be roses and fine. Uh, is there, is there one answer or is it just that this specific group of players just happens to be on board with the, with this system and it's not going to be something you can recreate in other, in other teams?
0: Uh. It's so hard to answer. I mean, just like from a broad context, it's it's guaranteed money in a player's pocket. I think first and foremost, yeah. um, I don't you think know Brent any Vince of these
1: players. Hates his twenty million a year, even though he probably could be making thirty if he hit the market, right?
0: Right, exactly. And and let's say the Jordán Alvarez contract doesn't work out. I mean, we we project it to be a really good value by the end of it, right? But let's say he has chronic knee issues that some people worry about, and it doesn't work out. The player is still getting paid. A, and from a player perspective, he's fine if he stays. Obviously, he signed that deal in Houston. He's fine with that. If for some reason he's still producing and that team is not competitive, there should be some sort of market for that player down the line. So he's not necessarily stuck there. Yep. And I think at least I personally don't don't really acknowledge that point often enough. I just look at these 10-year contracts and say, why would you want to stay in one spot um, without kind of looking at mm-hmm. the f- the factor that if that player is still playing at a high level five, six, seven years down the line, there will be opportunities for him to move out of town. If that team that he signed it with is still not competitive. So, um, you know, from that perspective, I think these players just want to lock up long-term, long-term money. Uh, I mean, I agree beyond that. It's like, you know, it's the, it's the question of, take 200 million now mm-hmm. or wait and hope for 300 million. Right. So that can be debated forever. Um, beyond that, I think these teams do see, uh, you know, team Houston will commit money. Um, uh, obviously they intend to be contenders year in and year out. That's, that's a de- desirable place to be for a player. Yeah. Um, there is some, I, let, let's just like kind of try and poke a hole in this team. Right. Um, yeah. After 2016, like we all know they drafted really well leading up to that turned into George Springer Altuve Bregman these guys that um helped win a world series but largely after that after they like went all in on drafting they they pretty much gutted a lot of that scouting department because they didn't really need to because they weren't drafting high in the in the it's interesting. Does this make sense, right? Yeah, so super interesting. Th- now, under the new general manager James Click, they sort of revamped that a little bit. So their draft, uh, I- I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of being, uh, you know, indirect here, but I'm what I'm trying to say is their ramp, their their drafting has not been that great in the last couple of years. So there are some vulnerabilities in terms of, you know, we see the Dodgers always have a sup, you know a supplement of guys they can go to in their minor league system houston we've sort of seen a little bit of like a lack of depth here but where it was made up for is in the starting rotation which was largely done through the international market which right so without is
1: where you should always have depth if possible right ex- exactly so
0: if hypothetically speaking if they weren't as successful in the international market and they were relying on some draft picks some of those guys didn't hit this team i think would be we would largely be looking at an aging you know yeah. an aging alex bregman an aging el tuve uh and then it's pretty much kyle tucker alvarez you know yeah. and, and a bunch of ancillary pieces which all fit together really well i'm just trying to poke holes in terms of like where this team could be direct you know. The direction they could be headed. Now, I think they're set up very well because they still do have two years of Al- Altuve, Bregman. You have, um, you have Alvarez locked up for a while. You have Kyle Tucker in arbitration years, and you have all of that starting staff almost beyond Verlander locked up pretty cheap. I mean, they'll be inflating arbitration salaries coming up, but um, I, I mean, it's kind of like a perfect storm of how they've been able to construct this maneuver at um which is different from atlanta i'm just trying to to separate the two where atlanta just
1: like well it gotten. isn't it isn't it isn't it isn't i'm diving a little deep here. Breg, bregman was a pre-arb extension and, and technically alvarez was too um you know altuve was so, sort of in the middle there of arbitration but the end game for all the all three of those contracts is between 31 and 33 years old for all of those players all of them so that's, that's what they're being sold when they're sitting down with this contract offer is. Look, we can give you 100 million dollars today, and by age 31, 32, you're, you're either doing it again with us, or you're hitting the open market, and you can get you know your third, third big contract with somebody else, and you're not 35 years old. you're not 38 years old. you're still, you know, somewhat in your prime years with a chance to redo this again. So you can either wait and try to get 200 million all at one time with one big contract. Or we'll give you half of it now, and if you want to do half of it with somebody else later, that's fine with us if, if the timing is right. I, I think that's exactly how all these teams need to start operating, and really the Braves have done that, Dan. And they've done it three times this, right? If we say that Houston has three players like this, I think the Braves have eight. So, so Yeah, think, exactly. That's, yeah, they're exactly. going to be the poster child for what this thing could look like if you're aggressively trying to keep all of your players, financially speaking, at age 24 you know, you mentioned the depth of the starting pitching, the fourth biggest contract on this team right now in Houston. And the the largest pitching contract on this roster is Lance McCullers, who had eight starts this year. He only made two thirds of his starts last year because of injuries. This guy's going to be like getting a free agent back. You know what I mean? He's going to be like a free agent acquisition for this team because he's already under contract for three more years. And he's one of the highest paid tax salaries on this roster. Uh, just more depth they have that, that we don't even talk about out loud because this guy was out with a year and a half for injury. So the, I just think they're as rich as humanly possible. They're in really good shape. And like I said, they aren't, str- you know, they aren't suffocating these players with long contracts that basically say, you're stuck here with us, whether we're good or bad, like you referenced before. They're saying, let's take a five-year run, give you a hundred million dollars. And if we have to build this thing up after that, we'll do it. And you guys go, else- go elsewhere. I-, I just think it's really, really good GM work. That's all I'm saying, man.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I, all I was trying to say was that they're in different windows in my opinion, whereas Atlanta seemed to like lock this really strong core up uh, like long-term. Like, I, I guess I would compare it better if um Houston had done this with Springer and Correa and locked all, yeah. f- all four of those guys up early are, you know, early pre-arb extensions um, and then roll in with a core like that. To me, Houston has done a, a good job of staggering it, which has, but, which is like sort of maybe prolonged the window, but lowered the ceiling of a team, which is funny to say after they just won a World so Series. So I was actually but... just
1: going to say that. Doesn't it feel like the Braves are trying to do this for 10 years though? And and I'm not sure that's sustainable in any sport right now. To think that you're you're locking in a team for 10 years of contention, that's old school thinking. So I, I, if, if they think they're getting past five, four to five years of real contention out of this, I think that's probably a little bit arrogant right now out of atlanta even though the contracts sort of say that they are longer term contracts than the houston Astros have signed here um okay i think that's enough We, we can we can gloss over a lot of things actually i'm going to say one thing out loud because i really believe it and and i've done quite a bit of free agent work here on major league baseball as we'll talk about in a couple of days here i do not think verlander returns to this roster oh really no for all the reasons we're saying i know that they have Look, Verlander got, I think it was top three. I have it right here. Let me, let me look. I believe when they signed his $66 million extension, which was a two-year on plus one, so essentially a three-year contract, he was the fourth highest starting pitcher in, in baseball at the time. And then that tack on 25-year plus the option here, that made him the seventh highest. Obviously, it's extremely good money, and he's aging, right? But the, the Scherzer stuff... The, what I think is about to happen with DeGrom, I, I even think Kershaw is going to be in this conversation here in a couple of weeks. I, why would Verlander take less than 35, 40, 42 right now? Right. And, and I do think then there are teams, especially on the East coast where I think he wants to be, I, that, that is some of the, in between the line stuff I've been reading. I think there's some family stuff on the East coast that he would prefer to be in. I think a team like Toronto is going to come in with a huge offer. Huge. So that's kind of my hot take for a Monday morning here is Toronto overpays for Justin Verlander for two to three years and, and pulls him off this roster. Interesting. Yeah. Phillies. Was it just a blip on the radar? That's all I can think about when I think about this 2022 Phillies team is that it was just lightning in a bottle. They rode the wave as far as they could. And I'm not sure they can get back here next year. I really don't.
0: Well, they definitely did ride away, That that's for sure. Um, uh, I think they would largely admit that too. I mean, I think you know, not not the guys inside the locker room, but yeah. a lot of that was like uh, you know,
1: it, timely home uh, runs, God. right? I mean, how else can you say it? Right, but they were
0: playing with that was like a team playing with house money, if you will, down the stretch. They had nothing to lose. weren't supposed yeah. to be there. Um, wouldn't have been there in prior postseasons based on the format. But um, yeah, good point. Yeah, so so. I still think they're pretty good. It, it's going to, it's going to depend on what they do this offseason. season. Obviously um, you know, Phillies land seems to think they're going to be contenders for Trey Turner. I don't know if that's real. I don't know what you think about that, but now if, if we're talking Trey Turner, okay, I, 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 th- this is different,
1: right? Or, or different. do you want to jump in? It's different. Cause he is the anti Philly right now. He's the guy that's going to spray the ball over the field, have, you know, 15 uh, triples, 35 doubles. He is the perfect complement to this roster. So if you're telling me they're going to throw 30 million a year at Trey Turner, I- I'm heavily invested in this roster now. But, it, you know, they gotta, they're got they going to have to cup eight with Segura's option. I think they're going to do it anyway. I wouldn't pay 17 million for Segura next year. But Nola, Aaron Noah's on a $16 million club option. Are they just going to accept that and ride that one more year? Or are they going to extend him? Because he was, he was Cy Young worthy this year. I
0: mean, either way, it I, they're, yeah, they're set up they're gravy. It's a nice piece to have. Right. So yeah, I think he could be an extension candidate, but if not
1: roll into it, right. They're only projected at about one seventy right now on the tax. So they have about 60 to work with. So you could smash, you, you could tack on that NOLA club option, get yourself down to about 45 to work with. And yeah, there's still 30 million sitting there for Trey Turner or Carlos Correa. If that's a serious thing. Um, yeah, that that really does change it for me because look, I'm not saying the Phillies aren't going to be back here because they're losing players. They're not. They've got some bullpen arms in Robertson, Brad Hand that I think uh, should be replaceable, could be resigned here. Um, you know, other other than that, it's kind of club options that they can dictate. So they're not losing any of the starting nine unless they trade a Reese Hoskins or something like that to try to get some prospects back. But I have to think that what happened this year, at least now you know, wet their appetite to go all in for at least one more season, even if they're thinking one more season and they just accept the club option on Nola, don't think about extending him yet and kind of keep this buttoned up to 2023. Do you do a Carlos Correa type offer on Trey Turner? Do you do a really short term, but crazy high AAV deal on Trey Turner just to say, look, man, we want you, we want to pay you a bunch of money, but we can't do 10 years on another guy right now because we're not thinking about ten years. We're thinking about two to three at the most. Is that something Trey Turner would be willing to take? I I think the Correa stuff could be infectious to some degree.
0: It it could be, but I don't think I don't think that's the the yeah. player that it happens with. Right? Trey Turner gets a big long term deal. Um,
1: Certainly deserves now, it. Certainly deserves it.
0: Right. Right. Now, do do one of the other shortstops go after a Correa deal? Is it Correa again? Uh, like, I don't know how that all plays out, but yeah. I do think a Correa deal, a Correa type deal, is very much in play for one of those top four guys. I just don't, I just do not think it's going to be
1: be to Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I think Bogarts might be the guy now that I think about it out loud.
0: Yeah, yeah right. That's that's a good candidate.
1: Okay. All right. I got nothing else to say on the Phillies. I, I just think it was a hell of a run. It was really enjoyable to watch. They were a fun, obviously, you know, powerful team to watch. And if this is who they are next year, they're going to be the, right there inside that NL East, even if the Mets fall back a little bit. And I think the Braves aren't going anywhere. They're going to be in contention for the division. I just don't think a world series run is anything. Anybody should be putting money on right now. That's all I'm saying. Oh, online. for
0: sure. No, no. Beyond the... Uh... <laughs> Beyond Nola and Zach Wheeler, the the rotation yeah. gets real. Well, Rangers' is had so. a year. We
1: got to give him his due. He had a year. Right, but
0: but but still, even beyond that, you're getting into like real like they don't have anybody currently bet behind that really. So
1: okay, fair enough. Um, let's talk about my Mets. Edwin Diaz gets 102 million over five years, plus a six-year option, plus a no-trade clause, plus an opt-out after three years, plus a 12 million million signing bonus. Um. I don't have the breakdown yet, but I, my, let's, just, let's just assume it's a straight 18 million a year for five years plus the signing bonus because I think it's going to be around there. Um, talk me off the cliff of hating this and, and not hating the contract because obviously I love the player, but this is like signing the running back before you have the quarterback signed, right? I mean, I know Scherzer's locked in for two more years, but DeGrom's not. They have four starting pitchers hitting the open market here, Dan, four right? Bassett just opted out. DeGrom's about to opt out. Taiwan Walker's going to opt out. And Carlos Carrasco's already a free agent. Four out of the five starting pitchers have no contract with the Mets next year, but the, but the closer just got 102 million. So while I love the player, tell me why I'm, I should be okay with what just happened yesterday. Well, you should be okay with it
0: because he didn't hit the open market. I think if Edwin Diaz starts talking to other teams, I mean, let's, let's all be honest. These agents are talking to other people, but I, I think
1: until the 10th, Dan, (laughs) yeah, exactly.
0: But I I really think if he started to get into serious conversations and some, some contender thinks he's the final piece to their puzzle. Um, I think, I think it gets, you know, it, there's a reasonable shot he's not back in New York. So, by the way, um, the, Phillies,
1: I, the Phillies would have been in, at maybe a hundred, at million dollars. So, that's exactly reason number one right there. So there you
0: go. Or fellow contender Dodgers, a team like that. You you just don't want you just don't want it to happen, right? So he's still an elite pitcher at the top of his game. Um, and you got it. I I totally get your point, though. You feel like you know we have other areas to address. Should we really be spending this kind of money on a closer already? But um, you got to do You got to jump the market before. Um, so
1: I mean, I'm just that... I'm just thinking mathematically here, right? How many games, right. if you've got four out of five starters hitting the market, the seventh inning guy, the eighth inning guy, all hitting the market, right? Lugo out all hitting the market. How many games are they actually going to get to the ninth inning for Edwin Diaz right now? Just on paper, you know? So yeah, you got your $20 million closer, but I'm not sure you have a rotation that can actually utilize him right now outside of throwing another 300 million out there. So I I hope this is move one of five, but if not, man, it's a, it's a risky, risky contract.
0: That's the point. We'll reassess this in a few months after we see what else is lined up because Bassett is now, you know, like you said, Bassett's gone. There's going to be some major pieces to, uh, to figure out there. So.
1: Okay. We got Mets, we got Astros, we got Phillies. I guess let's talk about next season a little bit uh, before the storm hits. Uh, you know, the Edwin Diaz shot was kind of like the, the flag in the ground that the offseason is, is officially here. These are considered free agent contracts, even though negotiations don't start for three more days here. Um, you know, the Aaron Judge stuff is going to be a ripple effect, possibly the Otani conversation. Certainly the Verlander, Kershaw, or Gram stuff is going to change franchises. It just is. Um, but before we get there. I, I, I don't have any notes for you. I don't have, I'm hoping you're not cheating. Just tell me who the top five World Series favorites are right now via DraftKings Sportsbook, Dan. Give me your best guess. Um, uh, yeah. We have referenced uh, I mean, four out of the five, four out of the five teams already today. Yeah. Astros, Dodgers. That's one, two right there. Um, Braves, you got it. That's three. Not sure this one belongs here, but they're here.
3: Um, I don't know. The Blue Jays,
1: Blue Jays Padres, are, Blue Jays are five. You're missing four, and I think it's only here because they want the money before the storm comes. Yankees, yeah, man. Yeah. Yankees are the, are the second best AL odds right now. Um, but man, when judge falls off that roster, right.
0: I know. Right. That's the,
1: but it does mean the blue Jays will be the second then. So either they love this roster one, one year, more mature, or they think like I'm thinking, which is this team's about to make a splash. And if that splash is a starting pitcher, which I think you and I agree they need the most look out, look out. Right. I mean, (laughs) they were right there down the stretch. They were neck and neck with things. I do think that team is really ready to take that step forward. So it's Dodgers, Astros, Braves, Yankees, Blue Jays, Mets, Padres, Phillies, Mariners, White Sox, which probably makes you vomit internally right now. Um, uh, they're, they are
0: bound for a bounce back though next year. And if people are like, that's a team, if people are totally down on them, I mean, they do have moves to make, right? I, can like, I disagree? We to- I think they're going to sell.
1: I think they're going to sell three pieces oh, yeah. this off season, Dan. Well,
0: if they're selling to buy, if they're selling to buy
1: yeah. or just selling to shake sell off, I guess shake it up is the, right. is the way I want to reference it. Because they have, a, we've talked
0: about this. They have a very one-dimensional team, but they do have very, very good pieces there that maybe a little retooling on the fly, um, you know, might rejuvenate that team under a new coach as well. Um, I, I do think they're sort of primed for a bounce back um, sure. in a division that's very much still wide open. I, I mean, I've talked very we all know how I feel about the guardians and, and beyond them though, the, you know, the twins, the twins still are very good. Like can be a very good
1: team. It's, it's still a wide open division. So the Cardinals are 22 to one right now. If the Cardinals sign Carlos Rodon and Carlos Correa, where are the Cardinals on this list? Are they ahead? Uh, Are they ahead of the Phillies? Oh,
0: yeah, yes. Are they yep. ahead of
1: the Padres? Y- yes, are, I would say are so. Are they ahead of the Mets?
0: Um, i put them at that Mets yeah. tier, Mets-Blue Jays tier. I mean, the Cardinals are, like, we've talked about this. They're, like, an elite ace away from being, I think so. like, a, a team I'm way more in love with. And I already like them. I've been down on them at certain points throughout the year, mostly because I'm just, like, scared about their starting pitching depth with which sort of bore out at the at the end of the year here um like the Jack Flaherty stuff is concerning if he's ever going to like turn into the guy that we think he could be but I mean if you suddenly drop in a bona fide ace like Carlos Rodon or two really good starting pitchers um they have a ton of depth in their minor league system whether that's you used to trade for a superstar or whether they just let those guys develop and have a powerhouse team, um, you know, with whoever they sign. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a team. That's like right there that I, I completely I'm not agree. Gonna, and
1: I think it's blockbuster free agency and then let's freaking go. That's what it seems like for that team.
0: Exactly. But they gotta, they, they gotta make the right move. They can't just make this like one move, two moves, little moves and say, Oh yeah, that I, we think that that's going to work. Like if they, they're they like one major move away from being like a bona fide top five team. So
1: Okay. Nothing else. Giants forty to one. If they add Judge, does that move much?
0: Um, no, not. I mean, I agree. No, I agree. No, I think it's no, going to take that,
1: at least a, another year of off season to really kind of put that team together properly. But they're, yeah, they're gonna be that, better, I think. But
0: <laughs> they would be better. Yeah, that, the game. Yan- I don't know. Do the Yankees want? Do they? Are they hoping for that to happen just to let the have the Giants let them off the hook? Because the Giants aren't really ready to win. No. like we said, adding. Adding a even a six win Aaron Judge to that team isn't really going to turn them into you know, compete. Are they going to really contend um, with yeah, the Dodgers for yeah, multiple they, they, they years? I carried
1: a 10 war for the Yankees last year, you just, right? I know. You I'm just saying don't let that's a historic... players walk, in my opinion. If I'm the Yankees, yeah. I'm still aggressively trying to be the team that, that, that gets them, yeah, even if I know yeah, I that think, age 38 is going to be a mess, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I've I've been there. I think he stays. I'm just trying to say if he is leaving, like are the Yankees sort of kind of like, oh man, do you if you want to offer him 40 mil a year, go right ahead, but we're not going to be that team.
1: Is there gamesmanship with the Blue Jays and the Yankees? And I realize this just turned into like a free agent primer, but I'm having fun, so let's just keep talking. <laughs> is there, is there gamesmanship between the Blue Jays? Like like if the Blue Jays know that they are in on Verlander. Do they do it before the judge decision or, and put pressure on the Yankees or do they want to see if the Yankees punt on judge first? You know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah. I, I guarantee you there is some of that going on. I am just not smart enough to think through it. Yeah. Um, I love but sure. yeah, for, I love the chess versus
1: sure. checkers shit in this.
0: Yeah. Especially on a high. I mean, when you're the Yankees on that, you know, on the platform that you are, teams are coming for you. There, there's certainly going to be that kind of gamesmanship.
1: If the I Grom signs song. with the Braves, what is your next move? Are you taking the knives out of my house? Are you what, what's happening here? I mean, I, I'm not prepared for that mentally, even though I know that's been the, the large rumor here.
0: Well first move will be going on the twitter.com to put on Steve Cohen tweet notifications because I'm going to be ready for whatever, whatever comes from there. So, um, no, I, um, Oh man, I really haven't considered the whole Verlander leaving thing. I, I'm glad you kind of put it on my radar because it's something i I probably need to watch and uh, kind of think about more. You know what it feels like.
1: Uh, We've had these like three off seasons of quarterback carousels, which literally has now become like a term on ESPN, you know, disgustingly. Isn't it time for a starting pitcher carousel for an ace carousel? I think it's happening. I think there's a chance Kershaw signs with the Texas Rangers. I think there's a chance Verlander leaves for a team like the Blue Jays. I think De- Degrom could be with the Yankees or the Braves, you know, in a week or so it's possible. This, this stuff is not even hot take. It's completely possible. Um, and like we said, the Cardinals could go all in on superstars here. So I, there's some serious, serious movement possible here. And we haven't even talked about the trade market, which could have just as much strength out there if a player like Atani starts getting you know, talked about, which I believe will happen, at least to some degree. So five aces could be moving this offseason. That's not for nothing.
0: Yeah, and somebody, at least one guy that we don't think is available is always available, right? Yeah, so um, That's right wait for that to
1: happen too. So. All right. Well, look, I did a, I did Yerman's work here with this off season stuff. I've got all 30 franchises totally detailed on spot We're talking trade candidates, extension candidates, non-tenders for your arbitration geeks out there. We've got full projections on what arbitration is going to cost each team, what pre-arbitration is going to cost each team, what the, uh, what the tax payrolls are going to look like after those salaries all kick in obviously we're not projecting too much free agent wise, because as we talked about here, it's just going to be a crapshoot from what we can tell. And then uh, obviously when moves hit like Diaz yesterday, we'll up those, up those things accordingly. But right now you can hop on spy and see breakdowns for all 30 teams heading towards November 10th, which is officially the official day for free agent negotiations in major league baseball. Dan, we'll have you back soon to talk about this stuff at more length. Sounds good. Thanks. Yep. All right, let's bring in Key Smith and Scott Allen and talk. Hard salary caps in the, in the in the NBA. All right, Keith Smith is here. Scott Allen is here. There's some NBA news. I think it's news. Keith, I'm going to start with that. Um, you know, in the middle of the NFL mess and the World Series and the beginning of a couple of these other league seasons, Woj and Shams dropped a bit of a bomb here on us, which I think, you know, has some sea legs, a little bit, right? The, the December 15th opt-out deadline for the NBA CBA is about a month away here. The lists are being created, right, the wish list for both sides, here players association and the league. I assume the opt-out's going to happen. I think there's enough on the table here to say let's at least start over with a few things even though the league is healthy and and everybody's making a ton of money. Just explain to us exactly what has been proposed specifically with this salary cap and uh, and then we'll talk about, you know, what you think, what Scott thinks, we'll go from there.
2: Sure, yeah. I think the big one that is on the table is it sounds like the league wants – they're they're dressing it up all kinds of ways, but I think they really want a hard cap is what it ultimately amounts to. They want a number where it's you cannot spend past this number. Now, they're they're calling it an upper spending limit. I've heard it called an upper salary limit, whatever they want to call it. It, It's a hard cap. They want to be able to say, uh, hey, Golden State Warriors, LA Clippers, Brooklyn Nets. Uh, you have to stay at 140 million or so, or whatever they call the number to be. Um, That's where it is. And there may still be a luxury tax component to that or not, Um, likely would still be, but they basically want to say uh, a team like the Warriors, who I wrote about for the site, mm. you know, they've spent, spent, spent just to keep their team together. Uh, basically you can't do that anymore. Like you've got to let some of those guys go and make some tough decisions. So that's the big one. There's a handful of other smaller things that are going to be on the table uh, that we know about already. Um, that are being discussed, but, but it's that hard cap. That's the big one. that's got Kind of everybody in a tizzy right now.
1: All right. So I think you kind of framed your, your answer to the second question already, right? You're, you're not happy with this, or at least you're not happy in the reasoning for why it's being discussed, right? Which is basically the warrior spending situation.
2: Yeah, I think it's a little uh, overblown, to be quite honest with you. I don't think uh, we have to worry about this becoming a regular thing. Um, I don't know how many teams are going to uh, draft and develop uh, three Hall of Fame level guys at the same time, uh, then have a cap spike, which allows them to add a fourth Hall of Fame level guy, then have two gap years while still keeping everybody else there and get high draft picks and develop those players into players as well. Uh, that seems pretty unlikely to be a repeatable thing that that happens to me. Um, I get it. The Clippers and the Nets aren't in that boat. And they've, you know, they managed to push their salary up very, very high. But it, the league's always been like this. There's always been a few teams that are outspending everybody. It's just the Warriors are doing it and winning. Nobody cares that the Clippers and Nets are doing it. And they're out in the first round of the playoffs. Nobody really seems to care about that. It's, it's really the Warriors. So I think it's all a little bit overblown.
1: All right. Smooth transition. Scott, your first question was going to be, is this really a problem that should be addressed? Because, you know, we've seen this with the NFL. It kind of is the DNA of the NFL, the salary cap, whether you love it, hate it, well, you know, understand it or not. It is the, the foundation of how the NFL operates. It couldn't be further away from how the NBA, operates, right? <laughs> there's, there's like a, a team and a half that has salary cap space on an annual basis in the NBA. So it's more about the tax situation. So is there a need to actually go this route or is what Keith's saying Is this just an immediate overreaction to what the Warriors have done for three to five years there?
3: No, I agree with Keith. I think it's an immediate overreaction to what has happened and what could happen with the salaries that continuing to increase. I think they have some other fish to fry. Keith and I have talked about it, extension rules. Something's got to happen with those. Um, I, I would rather see some tax relief to a Golden State Warriors or a Memphis when they get up there or Denver with uh, you know, signing and retaining your own players and to multiple extensions and giving them some tax relief from that aspect as opposed to let's just throw a, a hard tax number up there and you can't go above it because I think there's going to be more uh, repercussions than initially in, anticipated with that. Uh, what I mean by that is if Golden State Warriors are – being hindered by that right now if it was in place you know that would mean that they they can't sign players to 10 day contracts or anything to go over that if there were any injuries so for those high teams there's going to be some uh repercussions and then there's going to even more movement in the league than there already is and whether or not that's a good thing uh too much movement could be a bad thing
1: yeah i was about to go there which is we already treat the nba as if it's just a round robin and in a positive way, I think having superstars moving every offseason couldn't be better for everybody who works in and around this league. I mean, it's just constant content. And it's unlike any other sport. Some of these other sports, I think, are trying to get to this because it is really, really good for business for a lot of people. Um, I don't think they need more of that. That's not what this is about. So I guess I, I have to ask this question, even though it's kind of kitschy. Is this about suppressing salaries for players, Keith? Because there is a formula in place that ties maximum elite player salaries to whatever tax or cap max there would be. Is this just a new line that can be drawn because on the horizon here are $75 million per year contracts. I mean, it's just the reality.
2: I get first glance. I want to say, yes, like that's what this is about. But the reality is under the current CBA and there's no expectation this will change the players are going to get between 49 and 51% of the basketball revenue anyway so even if you cap the spending if the money comes in so high it's just going to get paid out to every player in effect as a bonus at the end and and that's where capping that is becomes a challenge and i think i think this is more from the ownership side of things it is how do we control our fellow owners and this is where if i'm the players association i'm sitting across the table and saying Y'all can't even get on the same page here. <laughs> so you can't, there's nothing to be bargained about here, right? You can't bring us a proposal where half of your own group doesn't even like what it is. So that's going to be the challenge is getting them all on the same page. Because I think everybody, it's easy today to say 29 teams are angry with the Warriors. But the Nets, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bucs, Scott called out a couple there, could be in this boat down the line, like the Grizzlies and a couple others. They may land on the backside of that and say, uh, well, hold on. It is, this could happen to us down the line. And I don't want to be in that spot. I think the unintended consequence becomes a team like Memphis, a small market team may end up in a position where they have to let guys go because you've put this artificial spending limit on them. And instead of celebrating, hey, the small market Grizzlies nailed five straight drafts and a bunch of trades and all this stuff and built this great team, no, now the consequence is Desmond Bain is playing for the, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves because, you know, the Grizzlies couldn't simply just couldn't pay him anymore because you can't you can't build a team like that. So that's that's where I think the problem comes in.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with that because now if something of like this is in place, those teams like a Memphis, they have to think four years out of do yep. I want this player or not? And that could expedite things in a way that teams don't want to have. So can
1: I, can I take a, a, I guess, a zag approach to what you guys are saying? Because we've talked about this from the top down, right? So everybody's mad at golden state and I'm using air quotes there, right? (laughs) Could it, could it be the exact opposite? Could it be that Memphis and Milwaukee and now Cleveland and there's others, these small markets have hit, they have drafted, they have cracked the code and they have drafted properly and they're going to be contenders for four to five years here. Does the league hate this? Because that's not good for business. And I know small markets aren't as small as they used to be and you can win anywhere and and be successful, but you know, Brooklyn's a mess. The Knicks are still in mess. The Lakers are a mess. The Clippers appear to be a kind of a mess. It's these other markets that are kind of carrying the day here. Is that part of this? You think?
2: I don't, think so because i think the nba being a very much a player driven league Mm -hmm. there are only a handful of true blue blood franchises where it's if it's celtics lakers in the finals you may get some people to tune in and watch just because it's celtics versus lakers but the reality is the nba i don't think necessarily cares where john Morant is playing Mm -hmm. as long as john Morant is playing right that's where it's you know hey get if Memphis can build the best team around him and John Morant, who is rapidly becoming a super duper star in front of our eyes, can be playing late into the playoffs. and can maybe even make a finals. That's great because we'll market it. I mean, I look at it. It it never was firmer for me when Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook became two of the biggest stars in the league playing for the Oklahoma city thunder. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, arguably one of the smallest markets we have in professional sports, they, they exploded into, you know, super duper stardom. And I really look at it as, yeah, it, just the way the NBA is structured. I don't think they necessarily care because I don't think they need to pull in the the you know the coastal cities, you know the the East and West Coast, you know elite cities. I don't think they're overly concerned about that. Outside of yeah, as long as they get their Lakers in there every mm. once in a while, the Celtics in there every once in a while, they're okay. But yeah, let's get the star players there versus that. And the best way to get them there, let them build really good teams.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Scott, is this about tanking them? because tanking's in the forefront of this. Victor Wembanyama. there's certainly going to be a good draft class here. I don't think we've seen too much action to that degree. I mean, we're going to see it after the trade deadline. It's going to ramp up once the timing gets closer. <laughs> so we have the tanking side of it, and then we also have the revenue sharing side of it. And I think if you put those two ideas together, you can kind of you know, get yourself to six teams on an annual basis. And the more Golden State spends, the more the Clippers spend, Right now, the more those lower market share teams are earning because there's trickle-down effect from the tax bills. I, I think I read it properly. I'm not sure if you read it as well. It looked like there was a nugget inside of uh, Roge's piece here that said that was going to change, that not only are we going hard cap, but we're taking away that luxury tax revenue sharing. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to feed our smaller mouths in a different manner. Is that a part of this? You think is that is that teams are just kind of sitting with their hands under their butts too much and letting things happen and just kind of making profits off some of the bigger teams?
3: I mean, that's a fair assessment. I mean, the the teams that have been tanking for years are being down at the bottom and now are, uh, you know, benefiting from these high tax bills from Golden State and Brooklyn. But I I don't know if those teams can sustain that for a long period of time. So the pendulum may swing backwards and it just happens to be that we're in a time of overreaction of Golden State winning and having paid like we started off the top. So I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with the tanking aspect, but the fact that they would pull that money from being divvied up to those non-tax paying teams, uh, that could be a interesting caveat, you know, that's extra bonus money to those players. And um, if they're pulling that off of the table from a revenue sharing standpoint, uh, you know, I I don't think players are going to necessarily like that. Keith, is, is money paid
1: via tax bill considered revenue that gets split down to the players?
2: It is not. So once oh. once that, because because if you think of it in that way, it's already been been paid. The players have already gotten their chunk of of that. That is just a, a penalty. So in that check last year, I believe it was 12000000 million-ish to the non-tax paying teams. When that went to them, that's just extra money that, that they get. Now, what you hope for in that situation, like look at Boston, right? They did what they had to do to avoid being a tax paying team last year. They got 12 million. Now, what you hope if you're a fan of that organization is that the front office is able to turn to ownership and say, Hey, that 12 million we got you, we need to reinvest that next year because the team's going to be really good. We may be a tax team and it'll all bounce out in the end and we'll probably come out even as far as that goes. The challenge comes in when it's, yeah, when you have teams like what the Sacramento Kings were under the Maloofs of, we're just, we're barely going to spend. Uh, and we're just going to collect this money from everybody else as a terrible team and call it good. Uh, the Clippers under Donald Sterling for years yeah. were like, just keep giving us tax payments because we're not even going to try. Um, they Um, The NBA will not let it get to be like Major League Baseball, right, where the revenue sharing goes to the, I mean, I know the Rays are right down the road. Mm-hmm. And for years, even bef- now, they're pretty good, right? But when they weren't good, it was just like, no, nope, we're good. We're not going to spend any extra, just keep the money coming into us and that they're never going to let it get to there because I think the idea in the NBA is, Hey, you got to, you hit, you bought them out for a few years and then you turn it around and rebuild. And you very rarely see, I know someone's going to be like, Hey, the Kings exist. Um, But (laughs) that's been a a circumstance more than a try to uh, for a lot of this period of time, but these other teams, they're not trying to be bad for, you know, um, you know, four and five year periods. They might want to be really bad, Uh, For two or three years or especially a year like this. But then that's what the idea of let's turn this back around and climb up very quickly.
1: All right. This question will be for for both of you. Then I'll start with Keith. Give me one major pro and one major con for a, a true hard salary cap in the NBA.
2: The major pro is it then does truly become an even playing field that takes market size out of the
1: mix. You believe that will happen. I, At some point I think in time, it, eight to 10 years, it'll flatten out to a point that, that there's real, real parity.
2: I, I think it could. I, I think okay. there is the potential there where you, I mean, Orlando is not as big a market as New York. It never will be. Um, you could balance it out that way. They, you can't charge the same amount for tickets that you can charge. Major con is, I think, and I think this is way worse, is that breaking up of teams that is unintended teams that you're going to force those teams to break up when no one really wants that. I think it's going to be, Hey, we've now punished these teams that have built these great rosters, you know, in a way that I don't think people are really thinking it through.
1: Scott, you have answers.
3: I, I think that the, the con to it is more so in the immediate impact where yeah, the cleanup. If right? if if they come out with this and teams are have already spent all this money, they're gonna have to force themselves, or there's gonna have to be some sort of grandfather time frame in to allow those teams to get their books in order, I would hope, because like Denver Nuggets, they spent so much in the long term that if you turn around and say, Oh, in two years, you have to be below this artificial line now, uh, it, the whole league is going to be uh, a revolving door of trades to make sure that they can get themselves down. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with Keith's first comment. Um, I, I think that the... The parody comment. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that the parody is going to happen. Similar in Major League Baseball, they have their their tax teams that are going to pay are going to pay for the most part and the teams that aren't aren't going to pay um but i think it more comes down to what definition are is the league really going with is it going to be a Mm -hmm. a hard tax above the tax threshold or are they taking the tax threshold out and it's just going to be a complete salary max outside of the cap and luxury tax. It's just, this is where you're at. And the luxury tax threshold is now the one line and that's it. So I, I think we need more information from that standpoint, because if the league starts operating with five quote unquote thresholds with a floor, a max luxury tax threshold, a tax apron for hard cap teams, and then another hard tax value, that's five things that the league has to operate from a book standpoint and that could get to be, uh, outrageous. All right. I'll give you yeah, one but answer. That keeps
2: guys like us and uh, yes. <laughs> employed, man. Yes, well, yes, I agree. yes I agree.
1: <laughs> We're not supposed to say that stuff out loud. Okay. We'll cut it. Don't worry. No, I have one answer for this. And it's a, it's an ugly answer. Um, because my specialty here is the NFL and I, I live and breathe this kind of salary cap squeeze. That, honestly, every day it's, it's not just the offseason. It's, it's every day in season. I'm seeing something happen where somebody's trying to manipulate or, or react to, right? An injured player now needs some kind of cap relief from somebody else. It's just how it works, right? These teams are carrying 70 players when you talk about practice squads, when you talk about injuries, um, and it's all under one number, one hard number. And if that's where the NBA thinks they're going, I'm going to tell you two things that are going to happen immediately. You're not going to get superstars to take less, at nope. least not out of the gate, right? Because they've worked their asses off to, to fix that and to get themselves to this point. And, and maybe the player empowerment stuff has gone too far. And I think that's a big part of why we're having this discussion right now. And owners are trying to get back some of their piece. But you're going to see that gap widen between the A's and the D's like we've never seen it in this sport. And I, it's, it's as bad as it's ever been in the NFL. I mean, we have positions in the NFL right now that are bottoming out financially because the cap isn't rising or teams just simply say it's not worth our dollars to bring you up. The NBA is in such a good place, in my opinion, that we're almost positionless. We've talked about this. It's almost a positionless mm-hmm. league, especially when it comes to money. If you can produce a certain amount of stats and some advanced analytics and, and your minutes you know, kind of match up, you're worth the same amount of money, whether you're a point guard or a big man in this league right now. That's a beautiful thing, and not many sports have this. To some degree, baseball has gone to this, but not, not as you know, not in really a sexy manner. There's a lot of health in this league, and I realize the salaries are getting gaudy, but to me, this isn't the answer. Drawing a line in the sand like this isn't the answer. And I talked about this with Scott offline. Um, I know you don't want the NBA to turn into Major League Baseball, Keith, and you've got one of the worst examples maybe two of the best examples in Miami and, and Tampa right around you there um, of why we shouldn't do that, but I'm a Mets guy and Major League Baseball literally just built a rule for the Mets and their new, his new billionaire owner, right? Which is basically, all right, here's the deal. We're not going to put a salary cap out there. We're not going to say those words, by the way. And I I think it's hilarious that the NBA has not said those words yet. They're calling it a mm-hmm. hard max, right? The <laughs> salary cap sends off Twitter, Twitter alarms like you wouldn't believe. Um, But I think what's going to happen is they're going to go the exact opposite direction. Instead of saying, here's one number and you can't go over it, they're going to say, all right, you can still go as far as you want, but now we're going to build in these upper tax bills and these upper tax percentages. They're going to hurt you so much that you're not going to dare go to those waters and try to dip into that. And if you do, we're all going to win because you're just nuts for going that deep. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to be fine. You want to be golden state and you want to continue to go and you want those, your, your, annual rate to eventually, you know, supersede $400 million. I think we're approaching that this year. Right. And and repeaters and all that stuff. I think they're just going to make it so impossible to to overspend like this, that it's just not going to happen. But I just don't believe drawing a line in the sand is the way to go.
2: I complete agreement. I, I think this is almost one of those where you, this gets thrown out at the beginning of a negotiation. It's that's yeah, right. I, it, a lot of it's like going to buy a car, right? Where it's like, no, we could never come off the sticker price. Well, I know that's not true. And you know, when I say, I'll give you $5 for that brand new car, you know, that's not true. So like now we're just playing the game. And I think this is, it's almost like clockwork right at the beginning of every CBA negotiation. It's, you know, we really need to think about some level of hard cap and instantly the players association is like, absolutely not. What makes this one, I think, even less likely is you don't even have consensus on the ownership side (laughs) like this time around, which is just so funny to me where the owners aren't even in agreement. So, again, I go back to the players are going to be like, we're not going to entertain something you're not in agreement on. I think we're going to see changes to the way the tax penalties are done. Yeah, Um, I think we may see, uh, you know, tax. Tax relief for, uh, you know, if it was a player you drafted and they're going into that 10 plus years of service uh, level of contract, but, you know, maybe that's only half or three quarters of that counts towards the tax. I also want to be very clear, it should be tax relief, not cap relief. Um, cap should stay the cap is to some extent the equal arbiter for everybody. All the rest of it is just, are you willing to pay some penalties yeah. on it? So I think that you should never get cap relief, but if you want to give a team tax relief, the Warriors should not get punished because they they draft and developed really well. And have kept the team together for a decade. But I do think we're going to see some changes. I think some of the tax bands may change. I think there's going to be give and take where it's, or we're going to give you this for relief wise, but we are going to ding you harder if you go, you know, X over or whatever the case may be. And that'll be, you know, where it comes, but any form of hard cap, it's not going to happen. This is a, Hey, let's throw this out there. And then, you know all right now we can get into the issues we really want to talk about and get into and there's there's a million of those too that that are going to come and and change things but yeah i i don't think we ever see this get to a hard cap league
3: yeah it's sort of like smoke and mirrors we here we're going to float this out here but we yeah. really in the background want this over here so i i completely agree yeah, the this ultimate is...
1: Friday news dump right
3: yeah i think i about a salary cap talk to you monday <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty much yeah
1: exactly Keith, i agree with everything you said and, and i'll i'll ask you just uh, extrapolate on one of your points because i'm not sure especially some of the non nba people who listen here understand it there is a spending minimum which every sport should have most don't the nba has it it's come up every now and then past couple years we've had a couple of teams flirting down there and Mm it at least gets fascinating then there's the cap and then there's the tax and there's a hard cap threshold there's there's four essentially four lines maybe even more when you build in the tax tiers but everybody's always questioning why why all of this? Why do we need all of this? And really what's happened is they've built a system that you're better off being over cap than being under cap. It's easier to operate. It's easier to sign. It's easier to retain when you're over. So yes, there is this floor, but really what's happened is the salary cap is really the floor for the 30 teams, right? Most teams get to that point and get a little bit over, or if you're going, you're going all the way over and then the tax becomes your next threshold. So the triple tier I think is working excellently because you're, 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 you're forcing Oklahoma and Houston, even in their downest years, to get up to that cap, cap line, at least close enough, because you're better off being an organization that lives over cap. You mentioned uh, some of the other things you want. I think, the, I think the franchise benefit situation is a no-brainer. If they don't do it, they're missing out. Um, Scott and I joked about it, calling it like super bird rights, right? If there's a super max, you've got super bird rights, and that gives you some kind of tax relief. I think that's brilliant. Um one of the other things that's happening right now and, and the timing of all this is crazy, right? You got the 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 mild tanking happening, you've got this cap situation, and we've got these media rights all happening around this opt out and then the CBA in the next 8 to 12 to 18 months. And all of it's coming together at one time. So the salary cap should explode here. But there's no way they can let that happen, right Keith? They can't they can't have a warrior situation happen again when we're when we're having conversations about not being the Warriors anymore. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we're 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 in a very different environment than it was back in 2016 when we saw the cap spike. The uh back then the NBA and the NBPA didn't always have the best working relationship. It was almost like our right, we 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 locked you out multiple times and you know you we forced you into X Y and Z and and just now we're doing this just so we can play. They've gotten through three pandemic impacted seasons. They got through the whole bubble. Um I'm not going to say it was easy, but they get through it as well as I think any professional sports league did it's I think in the
1: conference did. room. Keith. Yeah. Right. Forgetting about this, like, <laughs> it's unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So they, they really did. They made it through that. And I think what's really important to remember too, with, with, with this is that relationship is better. So now when they come with a proposal for cap smoothing, which is, Hey, the cap should go up by 30 million. And I'm just plucking that number out of thin air, but it should go up by 30 million from one season to the next. It's not that uh Giannis is gonna get a $60 million contract. No one cares about that. It's that some tier, you know, X guy
1: yeah, all Timothy the way to right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Moskov, Luol Deng are gonna be getting money. And the thing is, the Cap Spike benefits exactly one group, one off season, and that is it. They're going to get a bunch of contracts. They shouldn't get it because, to your point, they got to spend the money anyway, so it might as well spend it and go get a couple guys that maybe are marginal improvements. So we're going to see some form of smoothing come in. I think where we may see two fights that I think are going to be very interesting is, one is the players already get their chunk of the media rights deal through their, their percentage of the BRI, through their 50%, roughly. The media rights are a part of that. That's what causes the cap to go up. That's what causes the sailors to go up. The thing they get 0% of, which is coming right after, it's going to go CBA, Mm. it's going to go media rights, is going to be expansion. It's coming. Adam Silver has mentioned it. Every single press conference he has done in the last year and a half as it's something we're starting to look into. In Where it had been with since he had taken over, it was not on the table, not even thinking about it, don't care. So it's clear to me it's coming. You don't have Seattle doing everything they're doing. Everything Las Vegas is doing without some assurances we're very heavily in the mix to get team players get zero of that. When that gets bought into now there's reasons for that because ownership has to then take their slice of the pie and divvy it up instead of 30 ways, it'll be 32 ways. So, but from the player side, what's going to be very fascinating to me is how do you balance that? They're going to want a chunk of those expansion fees but I think they're going to get pushed with, Hey, you got 34 more playing jobs. You got 60 more play or I'm sorry, 40 more playing jobs going into training camps and the like. Um, There's all these coaching jobs that are being created. I think what they'll do is they'll reach middle ground on, Hey, every franchise has to have a minimum of two former player spots on their front office and coaching staff or something to give these guys a pathway after their playing career is finished. That it kind of naturally happens anyway, but let's get there. But, that's going to be the other. Like one a his
1: Haslam great. situation.
2: Yeah, kind of. Well, that one's a little different, right? Because he's been continuing to be a player. But if he wants to stick around after, yeah, you'll get huh. get him locked in. You'll have to get get him signed into to a uh, you know, into a you know post career playing job. And we're seeing some guys come into that where we see them come in and it's um, you know, they they come in on the back end of it and it's hey, we're going to get this guy in on, on this anyway. So I think I do think that's going to be a major discussion point of all right we're not going to give you a chunk of the expansion fees direct but what else can we do beyond you know all the extra jobs that will naturally be created for players what else can we do beyond that to help you out here because we're not going to give you a chunk of that what will probably be my guess is somewhere between three and four million per team or billion in expansion fees i I can't imagine they're going to say you know yeah hey take some of that eight billion dollars because that's their payment for splitting up the tv rights and everything else uh 32 ways versus
1: 30. Boy, they couldn't have more to discuss with the CBA.
2: Yeah. I mean they are it's a, gonna be they are
1: chalk full. Uh, yep. we're not we're not anticipating a lockout though, right here guys. No. No way, right? Are, everything's cool. too good. Am, am I crazy? Is like an outsider looking in. This league is healthy as hell. Yeah.
2: Uh, Mike, my saying on that is it's it's everybody knows it's better to have a half a watermelon than a whole grape. And right now, the NBA has fulls of watermelons, yeah, right. Like so, it, it, yeah. This is one where if they lock out, they've all done themselves a disservice, and they all deserve whatever blame gets thrown their way because it would be absolute idiocy. There, there is, you know, healthy as they're ever going to be. With, I mean, we we know Amazon or Apple or somebody's going to throw them a billion dollars, probably air one or two games a week. Like it's, you know, that that's just you know the minimal minimal rights is going to. Go or for the that. League much.
1: pass. They own their yeah. own league pass. They're, they they could, haven't even absolutely. farmed that yeah.
2: out yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, we're, they're, they're going to make so much money off this next TV deal. And then you've got, I mean, just, you know, things are healthy. Tickets are back or uh, ticket sales are back to where they were pre pandemic. The league is full of stars. You know, they every team is to at least, you know, some extent watchable. You know, if not, you know, very, very popularly. It, it's never been in a better place. Um, so yeah, so it'd be absolute foolishness to let it, you know, any kind of work stoppage that turns people off. You you can't do that. You you can't you can't do what baseball did, you mm-hmm. know, coming off a great year and then saying, well, we're gonna shut it all down for a while. Like you can't do that. People would get so angry and turned off. You gotta be smart about
1: this. I agree. Scott, one real quick, one thing you'd like to see in this next CBA iteration.
3: Oh, I mentioned it earlier. extension rules being altered. Uh, the, the Jalen 100- Brown stuff, or it, even deeper yeah. than that. Uh, yeah, the 120% of, the, uh, you know, that being renegotiated to, with the Jalen Brown situation, allowing him to go higher. Um, Which kind of ties
1: into the franchise stuff, right? Let's just make it easier and, and more financially sound to keep your own players, <laughs> right? Correct. Okay. I think that's a no-brainer in this. There's going to be a lot of bigger fish to fry, but that one seems like I can sneak in on the back end kind of easily here. That it, one it, too,
2: it, sorry, just to add something that both sides want. Teams and players both want to fix those extension rules, and those are easy ones to yep. get fixed, right? Yep. I, I do think we're we're going to definitely see some changes to the extension rules for sure.
1: All right, guys, it's early, but this was a good discussion. I'm sure we'll be doing this three or four more times. <laughs> yeah, you know, once they officially opt out, and then the, the the laundry lists actually come out publicly, right? We get to see what they're actually going to start talking doubt. about here. Right, so, right. You got to it. talk about, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. My thanks to Keith and Scott. Good stuff on the NBA. It sounds like the CBA stuff is going to get really fascinating soon. We'll see if the opt-out happens and what kind of public announcements are made with what's being asked for. Certainly, Keith's going to be on top of all that stuff, so we'll have him back as much as possible for that. My thanks to Cousin Dan. Got a little long-winded there with the free agency stuff. But look, this is going to be a unique year. There are superstars galore, either outright available or potentially available via the trade. And uh, the big boys are going to be in. So whenever you've got big teams spending big dollars, it's going to be fun. So the next couple of months in Major League Baseball will be Cousin Dan and I kind of geeking out on that. And of course, we'll get back to the NFL here soon when we figure out what the hell is going on with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Russell Wilson, and the rest of the superstar quarterbacks that are in the middle of the pack right now, at the very least. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Janetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spotlight Podcast.